0: every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman.
1: And Jamie Blonde. And you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now.
0: In today's episode, we explore the intersection between science fiction and real estate. And what science fiction can tell us about the future of real estate. Our guest, Troy Brunier, founder of the Miami International Science Fiction Film Festival, a geologist, environmental protection specialist, and geospatial analyst. Welcome to the show, Troy. Hey, how you doing, Alex? Welcome, Troy. So, Troy, tell us about yourself.
2: Oh man, it's been a real journey so far. And to be honest, it's about 30 years to tell, you know, but with the limited time we have today, I'm just going to summarize h2oresource.com, which is my professional and doctoral research as an explorational geologist and water resource specialist. I'm an academic with Florida Memorial University, and I currently sit on a National Advisory Committee for the American Institute of Professional Geologists. I'm also a realtor with Access Perfect Homes under Keller Williams. Are you ready to downgrade that house?
1: Troy, (laughs) not yet. Troy, you're the founder of the Miami International Science Fiction Film Festival. It's in its eighth year, and it's one of the biggest in the country. Tell us a bit about the festival, and how did you get involved?
2: Oh, man. Um, It's an amazing thing. Um, Many years ago, we're in 2021, so we're talking 20 years ago, I was involved in making quite a few independent films that lasted for about 10 years, about a 10-year run of making independent films low budget sci-fi films and um, one of my films called longevity um, did very well at a festival and the only reason why it did well is because at our very first festival you ever you ever know the phrase that or the question that they ask film festivals when you're when you're when you're at a film festival and you're up there on a platform and they ask you a question what's what's the question that they always ask and that question is what's next I had the trailer of the next film in my pocket. And I said to the folks, the audience, I said, what's next is right in my hand. Do you want to see it? And the programmers played it. And that's what set this whole journey off, this 20-year journey so far, where that film did very well, where CNN International covered us winning against the favorite at uh, the Brooklyn Underground Film Festival. Those people followed us for three years as we made our next film called *Journey to Planet, called *Planet X Part Two: The Frozen Moon*, and they turned that documentary film into what was called *Journey to Planet X*, which debuted at Tribeca at the Tribeca Film Festival. We were number one of content, news, uh, 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 news interviews. It was an amazing event. Michael Moore said this was was his top five. We were in his top five a list of films which cascaded into a three year festival run all over the world. We were, we were at festivals,
0: debuting our film. People were coming to meet us. It was out of this world. So it it is one thing being able to have to submit a film to a festival. And there's another thing, creating a festival yourself. Tell us about that transition, how you got to being behind the scenes instead of in front of it. Well, yeah.
2: You know, we were literally at the top of the world. My wife couldn't believe. It. I said, honey, you got to come see this. That height, what happens to a lot of people, they crash when it's all over. When it's all over and there's nothing, no future, it's a crash. And sometimes people don't end well. The universe was gracious to me. And I i was so humbled by this i was let down very easily and gently and i said to myself what's the best way to give back for what i experienced and that is what turned into the miami international science fiction film festival south florida didn't have a sci-fi community and i said this is the best way to do it
0: so why and sci-fi what's so so where did sci- science fiction come from i mean it, you know it sounds like there's a lot of things a lot of opportunities to get back to the community but but sci-fi is very specific. Well, I've always been a
2: sci-fi geek. You know, I I grew up watching, of course, Star Trek, the old Battlestar Galactica, Space 1999, Robotech. Uh, These are the things that, you know, made me into the sci-fi geek that I am.
1: And and, uh, in years past, where was the festival and how did you participate? And what have you done as a result of the pandemic to adjust the festival?
2: The festival is always during the first quarter of the year. So here we are in March, we're still in the first quarter. And it's typically a, you know, it's always been a a real physical event held in downtown Miami. Um, But since COVID um, hit, it caused us last year to delay the festival because we had no idea what was coming. We decided to delay things because we thought things could get better like it did in many of the other countries that were first hit. And um, it didn't for us. So we decided to use our techniques and skill sets and have a virtual festival. And it was great. We had over 1,500 people showed up online. Um, It was an excellent event. And here we are again, because things still have not um, gone back to a, a situation where you can have large physical events with people from all over the world in your face. We decided we're not going to even risk People making an attempt to come to the United States, much less having our friends and family show up and catch a side of COVID um, in the process of enjoying a good film. So we decided upon ourselves to have a second virtual
1: event, which commences next week. So when I think of sci-fi festivals, it reminds me of the old Star Trek conventions, where all the attendants were considered nerds and geeks and dressing up in the co- in the co- in the costumes. And even William Shatner on an SNL episode, they once did a skit about he was telling them get a real life. Now, so what has changed? All of a sudden, sci-fi is cool. When did it become cool to follow sci-fi?
2: Well, oh, I'll give you the exact date. <laughs> um.
1: I don't, I don't want to,
2: you know, I have to say it, but I think the documentary film about me journey to planet X, if not being the catalyst was part of that. And the reason why I say that was because it was a low, you know, Come on, it's a documentary film. It's the lowest budget you got out there. It received the highest level of note of notoriety all over the planet. We were sent to festivals that you would never have any kind of science fiction film, much less a low-budget film being described, and people saw the money that was produced by the film Gravity, which shortly came after that, and next thing you know, there was another film after that, so you saw the investment money switch
0: from one type of film, set, set of films, to really focusing on science fiction. Well you, know, well, you know, this. Funny, the funny thing you mentioned that because I think that um, the, the, the idea of, of science fiction being cool is all relative to your age, right? I thought I was pretty cool when I was yeah dressing up as a Yoda when I was like eight years old. I think that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, now that I'm in my late 40s, I'm not sure if that would work, but – I do think think you're a
1: little tall for one thing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you'd be a little tall. Exactly.
0: But you know, but I think that there's there's something to be said for um, for the energy and vitality of the community, and it's not just um, being a Star Trek fan or you know a Gravity fan or Star Wars fan. In some cases, and we can actually there's probably some church and state there. So so I apologize for 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 putting those two uh, in this in the same sentence. But I do think that there's um, many different genres of sci-fi, which, uh, um, different audiences and different types of people gravitate to, right? You're absolutely right there. And I was in an
2: interview with David Gerald yesterday, David Gerald's attending the festival this year, David Gerald for folks who don't know is the man who wrote the script for uh, the trouble with Tribbles" in the original series of star Trek. Sure. And, and he he and I'll only tell you this one line you got to hear the rest of it you got to come to the festival but he said that the science fiction that is being written today is written by people who were inspired by the people who saw the science fiction of the 80s so you have this this interesting iteration and evolution of iterations so the science fiction is has becoming more broad but that definition of science fiction is kind of getting thin as it evolves, it's not, he argues that it's not sci-fi. He argues this. So it's um, it's very interesting how the evolution of, of our perception of what science fiction, how we like to celebrate it at these cons and festivals, because it's becoming so broad and diverse that it's, that like you said, it was cool because so many different groups of people like it for different reasons.
1: I was like, your know, ass to Tomas, I mean, the 80s was total recall, Blade Runner, that kind of that kind of sci fi, right? Yes,
0: yeah, the hard aliens. Sci-fi. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, so science fiction, as I have seen it over the years, um, have really been living in two different camps. One is the science fiction that depicts the future that is awesome. Uh, so mm-hmm. like, you know, start Star Trek, um, uh, the Jetsons, where the future is great, um, and then there's a there's the theme of the future is really bad <laughs> and things just oh, go dystopian. wrong. Yes, dystopian, yes. right? And so, um, a lot of the technology that is discussed or shared or introduced in these films um, really is born out of one of those two. Different themes, right? It's either to survive or to thrive, right? Okay. Um, so, what what type? First of all, what type of theme is your favorite? Like, which which do you love the the future is great scenario, or do you like the dystopian picture of of, of the future? Well, it's hard for
2: me with what I have in my head to celebrate to my demise. Um, I think there's something wrong with that. Um,
1: you on know, on a positive note,
2: <laughs> you know. Um, Fear always made money, and that's selling fear, which is why horror films are the only other genre that tops science fiction, because they're selling fear. And a lot of folks who are in the business are in the business to make money. Who wouldn't? And But in that process they make these dystopian horror movies and not and i think it's actually a second conversation to go into all the reasons other reasons why they do it however there's another aspect which is equally as powerful which was part of america's early 20th century experience and that was hope you know they say misery likes company those people weren't miserable those were the hopeful ones. Hope likes company too, and one of, and how it's best narrated is in Battlestar Galactica. Hope, hope to find Earth. How it was uh, 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 narrated,
0: illustrated in Robotech. Hope that we'll get through this. Right, I mean, but I, I don't. But I don't think I don't think anyone in Balzac actually found Earth. Though. <laughs> a, it was hopeless. <laughs> Just hopeless. around the
1: corner, guys. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, but, no, you know, but they eventually made it to Earth. So, so when when we think about okay, so so what what I love about that theme is that it's it's groups of people trying looking to find home and sense of place, right? And so thinking about the intersection of science fiction and all these different themes and say real estate, it's about finding home sense of place. And <laughs> when I-, when I when The I, hope, see how it ties in. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm going on a limb here. But, um, you know, when you think about the future homes or homes that have been depicted in science fiction, I think most people would agree that the Jetsons, uh, are the first thing that comes to mind, right? And how we had this vision, this vision of homes flying, uh, cars flying, uh, robots taking care of stuff. And I just love, and I'm not sure what, what year did the Jetsons come out, but I, it Oh was- man, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but that's, it's way it in, the been in the
1: sixties. Rastro Marshall been in the sixties. Well, right. well,
0: it was shot during that time, but it's set very far in the future. Right. But it was in, but it was science fiction that allowed us to dream and allowed us to think yes. about how to solve for, um, these, these, um, these realities, which, which weren't reality, they were science fiction, they were fiction and how to make them real in our homes. And thus things were born like Alexa and, and certain, um, home automation devices. So I, what are some of the examples of future or, or homes in science fiction that, um, that you think were important or perhaps even that motivated us to think really differently about how we build fo- homes in the future? I think it's already happening. Um, one of the hot things that
2: we're seeing evolve is um, the are these robots. OK, um, I think most folks don't know, but they're, they're robots that will cut your lawn for you. It, not, not just cut your lawn. These things work every day and they're working this part of the uh, yard today, the next day, they're in that part of the yard. They just cut a little bit at a time and and you wonder yourself, well, where does the, all the cuttings go? Well, if you only cut just a small amount at a time, that just goes back into the soil and, and continues to build the soil and feed this little ecosystem that's thriving in in front of your house, which needs to be there. Be is healthy. that
1: what Roomba is doing to the dust in my living room? <laughs> is that just putting it right back into the carpet? So one no, day I'm Roomba, fall into this, the Roomba's carpet in the and
2: I'm disappear? Yeah, but the Roomba's ingesting that thing. That thing is sucking it up into it. And they're getting better and better at it, right? And they're very smart and they're wandering around the house and figuring and, and learning where to go, not to go. Um, but they're just becoming more advanced at what they do. And now we have the ability through you know, our phones wireless, anywhere in the world, to see who's in front of the house before they even ring the bell or if they're dropping off uh, um packages or sadly they may be removing packages from in front of your house. Plus um, you can but,
1: change the temperature in your house. To yes, you have across,
2: cli- across yes, the world. Yes, you have climate control capabilities. So if you forget to turn the AC off, you can and you're on travel for a week, you can kind of notch it back to where it needs to be to have more conservation of energy in your home. The, the, now and not only that, in just a few years, okay. I'm talking five years, maybe ten, that that far out, we're gonna be able to buy robots that you will come to your home and do your dishes, cook your food, do all the little simple things in the house that would take you an extra hour or two out of your day.
0: But now you can Well, look, I think I think you know, one of the things that I, I find to be very interesting about that is that we find we're we're we're, we're moving a lot of those services outside of the house, right? And so we our kitchens are getting smaller potentially because we're, we may not be cooking as often as we would be because we were ordering in.
2: Well, 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 let's take a step back now. What's going on in the real estate market is that people who work from home, now you've got a little bit extra savings now. You're saving another 20% of money, of your money. That's a whole lot of money adding up. And you're able to sell somewhere that was in an urban setting, the house is two to three times the price that it was when you first bought it. You're able to sell that home, move somewhere like Florida or some other semi-rural or suburban space, afford a home that's a 100,000 more than the average person can because you're relocating.
0: And you now have all this space that your robot's going to need to run around and do all these things for you. Well, that's true. But like when I think about doing stuff for me in the home, I think about um, the back to the future, uh, you know, where Doc had this contraption that makes uh, the egg fries an egg for you. It, it, yeah, it, the robots. Yeah. They, yeah they, all these kind of things that are happening. And so um, this it's notion of automation and yes. uh, being able to give what get what you want without having to ask for it is kind of this notion of this predictive um, universe once again. When I th- when I think about it, and I I I can imagine it, and I can foresee it, but all of my reference points for what this should look like and feel like for mm-hmm. me come from the movies. Okay, and I think, yes, it does. You know, and so I, so so when I when I think about all the things that I would want technology to do for me, the only mm-hmm. point of reference I have is sci-fi, and so I like to think that there's a that there's a direct correlation between invention and innovation in real estate that in some way has to be influenced by science fiction films.
2: Yes, it it and it, it it is it will be it will continue going forward because of how easy it is to build something to see in the 3D world that we're in. It it's so simple now to for that machine to know where it is, to know where it doesn't need to go and how to interact with us. You know, this it's it's a partial artificial. They call this artificial intelligence. That's another talk. That's our opening night talk on artificial intelligence. What truly is artificial intelligence? We're still not there and it's going to be a long time till we get there. But these these instruments, these robots that we're we're producing are going to be able to have some level of. Some level of consciousness, very sub level compared to us, but be able to interact with us. This is all coming. This has been envisioned in the science fiction films. When you look at X Machina, the guy had all of these different robots that would one could dance really well with him, another one he was having these personal endeavors with, and so on. Another one was smart. But, you know, but I think
0: so. I think that yeah, that Mark Zuckerberg has got Alexa, uh, his version of the AI. He's calling it Jarvis. I just like like Tony Stark, but I think it, the voice of his Jarvis is Morgan Freeman.
2: Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Morgan is, you know, he's a special kind
0: of guy. Yeah, he's a special. So, kind of guy. Um, you know, he played God. I'm, I'm, I'm partial, to, <laughs> partial to Samuel Jackson, actually. I think I'd, I'd rather have him as the <laughs> voice of remember, my
2: Siri. Also, remember, Morgan Freeman played God. He did. He did. So, right. who would you want to be your demigod in your house? <laughs> you mean, besides me? Um, well, yeah. Besides you, it's it's some it's another voice.
1: Troy, it's when, you at, when you look at sci-fi, oh, it seems like they're always ahead of us, right? Sci-fi predicts something, and then we catch up. Well, you look at the you look at the communicator on Star Trek. You look at our phones today, and sci-fi's warn us about food shortages, nuclear destruction, empire dominance, climate catastrophes. You know, there's talking, the latest ones are all about colonizing other planets. We, you know we're, we're running out of resources and we're moving forward. What do you think the current crop of sci-fi product, how far away are we from those predictions today? Um, first of all,
2: the first thing you said about prediction and it's not necessarily predicting. Sci-fi is a tool, is not to predict for us. Science fiction is a tool to help us analyze and explore the options in front of us. Now, what then happens is the prediction part that you're talking about are the people who happen to be scientists that love it and say, wait, we can make one of those too. <laughs> and they go back, they go and look at what somebody said back in the twenties and thirties and apply those theories with the knowledge the know how that we have today, or at least at that time in the context, say of cell phones, Right. So there's a little bit difference between prediction and evolution.
1: Um, it's interesting you say the scientist, because uh, I, I was an avid reader as a kid uh, of sci-fi. I mean, I'm the kid that built the Saturn five rocket when NASA was sending Apollo to the moon. I was, I was in love with that stuff. So I yeah. used to love to read Michael Crichton. You know, anybody knows Michael Crichton, everything from underwater sphere to Jurassic park. I mean, this guy was ahead of the curve on everything. Um, what do you think are the are the are what do you read if you're reading sci-fi? What are you reading today that you think is realistic in terms of potential that could come true in the future?
2: Um, I've been on a huge binge this past several months of watching hundreds of sci-fi films, uh, so I haven't had a chance to read that much.
1: But well, in the films, for example,
2: as far as let's let's narrow it down to and and I'm going to say I'm a huge Roddenberry fan and Roddenberry says, which if you want to talk predictions, okay. Um, he says that we're going to have to go through hell before we get to heaven. We're kind of in the middle. I hope it's the middle <laughs> of, of that hell. He labels it quite well and even has a timeline on it. And for some bizarre reason we're fitting in it quite precisely. However, what will that future look like? And one of the closest ways to, to express it, who's doing it the best right now, is The Expanse, which The Expanse is a lot like my story, Planet X Part Two: The Frozen Moon. Every scene in The Expanse, I'm sorry, every scene in uh, Planet X Part Two: The Frozen Moon is in The Expanse in the most bizarre fashion I've ever seen. Um, and there are steps that we're going to take based on economics, based on demand, which is economics, based on what we can and cannot do. People like Elon Musk, he wants to push the envelope and it's purely for economic reasons. And I see our governments in the world are going to allow some of this to take place, unless something, you know, a catastrophe takes place. Like someone hits an asteroid and it accidentally comes too close to the earth and either hits the earth or just comes close to the earth. These are the things that could happen in the next 20 years. So The Expanse, I think, is doing a fabulous job because it's just slightly into the future. You know, they've got a few, they have one or two things that are way beyond our understanding right now, but that doesn't mean, just because we haven't theorized it doesn't mean it cannot happen. Okay. Another set of mathematics has to be produced to understand some of those things because there's it's limitless. There are no... Real, the real barriers are the only ones that are in our minds. Okay. Who says, we're not, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not the smartest people. There's no, and to assume we are, we're fooling ourselves. So um, it's interesting what's coming down the pipe. As far as the festival, we've got some amazing films in the festival 120 films from 30 different countries. We've got features, we have shorts, we have uh, um, uh, uh, people providing lectures like David Gerald. Uh, uh, Mark McRae, Thaddeus Sassari from NASA, uh, Alvaro Garcia Martinez, who is going to teach people how to make movies like The Mandalorian. Um, Willis Winari from Kenya talking about the seven spheres of society concept. Um, Giovanni Bucci, if you ever heard of Corn, the band Korn, he sure. makes all their music videos. Um, Dr. George Gonzalez, Kyle Sullivan from Chexpertise and Alec Peters from Axonar. So um, oh, nice. it's going to be an amazing
1: event to learn, not just see excellent films, but much more than that. So how does somebody buy a ticket? Where do they go? Uh, how do they see these movies? What's the operational? Um, uh, what are the logistics here to get involved?
2: It's real simple. We're real easy to find. Um, M-I-S-C-I-F-I dot com we will take it to our main page, and from there you can purchase your festival pass one. You, you'll be able to watch three, uh, ten, or the whole kitten caboodle for a small fee. And we take Bitcoin. So uh we have isn't that we have, interesting. Lots, of, <laughs> we have lots of options available for, for folks.
1: Now our our view our listeners can't see you, but you are wearing Captain Kirk's original shirt. So I have to ask you, Star Trek or Star Wars, where do you fall?
2: I will always be a Star Trek fan because of the Roddenberry universe and wh- how it sees uh, our, what our future could look like. And, you know, come on, would you rather live in a future where you have replicators and you don't need anything, or would you want to live in a, in a universe where everybody's at each other's throats and, and, and half your family ain't going to make it? So, <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> the, other, the, other ha- the other half are kissing each other. Well, well, the last thing I'll say about Star Star Wars, Star Wars is evolving into a very, very good uh, universe. The Mandalorian, what they've done with the Mandalorian is better than any other version of Star Wars that's out there. The storytelling is out of this world. I give them the highest props. In fact, one of our alumni, Todd Chernowski, um, I think Todd was involved. In part of that production, he comes to our festival all the time. We invite him all the time to the festival. He's the first Europa recipient award, you know, so um Star Wars is great, man. They're doing a fabulous job with Star Wars right now. And I see. and as long as they stay on that path, Disney, you're not going to have any problems. Just keep feeding it. Keep feeding that goose the way you did with the Mandalorian. You will not have problems.
0: Well, yeah, I'm actually I'm, I I second that on the Mandalorian. I think that's a great, a great series. As a matter of fact, what I love about it is it, it takes people away from lightsaber battles, right? It gets yes. people into into the, the other part of Star Wars that is extraordinarily interesting and expansive beyond yes. the Jedi and, and, and the Sith and all that. So you're not only following that, but also, I mean, that gets into this whole streaming concept where obviously um, Disney Plus and everyone's into streaming, which gives Uh, uh, studios the opportunity to tell different stories in different ways. Um, How does that actually going to change the film festival industry? Or does it?
2: It definitely is changing things. Um, We don't know how it's going to end up. But there are some people who probably want to omit the film festival's purpose. Because they want to make the film and just put it straight on Amazon. The chances of your movie making any money is slim doing that. Um, Whereas the festival has the ability to curate good content, high quality content, mass appeal content, or specialized content, whatever kind of festival that it is. Every festival has its own identity. And one should harness that festival because if there's a festival that you like, you like what they show there's a good chance they're going to keep showing that kind of stuff. Um, To give you an example, um, it's hard to compare festival to festival one to another. But if one is thinking about what the populace thinks, what the community thinks, make sure you screen your film at about a dozen sci-fi festivals. For starters, who would those be? Those would be Boston Sci-Fi, Film Quest in Provo, Utah, other worlds, Austin and Austin, Texas, Buffalo in New York, Berlin, London, and of course, us. And that's going to give you a very good picture of what the world will think about your product. It's a very small amount of marketing money in comparison to what uh, um, it'll take for you to just dump it on Amazon and, and push it out.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, it's amazing how much power the crowd and the fans have in that process. And I think about two two examples that are, are personal for me. And the first one is Firefly, which, uh, <laughs> right, which, you know, is obviously uh, was a cult favorite. And then, you know, that that groundswell got them to continue that, you know, let's continue, but to make a movie out of it. And then the the most recent example is the the Snyder Cut for those that are D.C. fans that um, wanted to see the Justice League and understand that whole process and have that kind of imploded. But then the fans said, you know, we want the Snyder Cut. And then 30 million dollars later, uh, it's going to it's going to come back. Right. Yeah. Million, good. OK, yeah. right. absolutely. We, we have a firefly film in the fe- a
2: firefly fan film in the festival by a guy named T.L. Westgate in Central Florida. His film is called Heritage. So um, nice. I'm surprised Browncoats are still making movies, um, but every year we're surprised. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that for- movie
1: for, for fans, that movie from Firefly, that was Serenity, right?
0: Serenity. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah,
1: I love that movie.
0: And that's for only 18 Bitcoin. You can make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, if You had 18 Bitcoin, you know, uh, five years ago,
2: man, you were sitting pretty right now. That's good. That's
0: right. <laughs> so, with that said, I want to I want to just really f- first of all applaud you on the the accomplishment you've made over the the tireless accomplishment that you've made over the years in putting out the Miami Film Festival. I think when I think of places that I want to go see movies, Miami is definitely top on the list, especially now. Uh, so I do it, but it considering the fact that like everything's online. I get it, but like Miami is a really good place for that. So what you're doing here is great for the fans, uh, for those sci-fi enthusiasts, for those in real estate, um, uh, being in Miami and enjoying the best in science fiction uh, on film or on, or on, web or what have you is is huge. And and thank you for being um, a huge part of that.
1: And I also want to say, you know, you can tell when somebody builds something out of love or it's a business proposition or necessity. And you coming from this as a producer of sci-fi movies who started from nothing and became successful. I think that love that you have translates and that's why the film festival is so successful. And we hope it continues to be so.
2: No, thank thank you, Jamie. The last thing I'll say with that is, uh, Fee is a platform for people to come and bring and to showcase their work. And we have an impressive, growing alumni of people who success started with Fee. It truly is amazing. Um, we always sit back and just and are in awe with how much, how many people have have lives have transformed since they've uh, screened their movies or have given lectures at fee it's it, it's truly amazing and it and it, keep, it, it continues to give back and that's the reason why we keep doing it so um you know hey it's a lot of fun miami is a great place we have a lot of fun when we have a physical festival hopefully in 2022 we'll be able to do that if not well we'll just wait to 2023 cuz we know it will happen back by then which will be year 10 um you know so it's it's a lot of fun we have a good time when we attend we have over 40% of the films are represented every time this year so far uh, close to that same number. So about 58 of the filmmakers are going to be in attendance at the film festival. So um, it's impressive, man. It's good. It's a lot of fun. It's a who it's a fun weekend.
0: Wow. So listen, thank you very much for the show um, I, being on the show and, and we definitely hope for the best in, in the next few days. As a matter of fact, so the dates are the ninth through the, 14th, the 14th so the 9th of the 14th uh, get your tickets via, via Bitcoin
2: <laughs> yeah you can use <laughs> Bitcoin or regular cash regular card and just to give you a little hint of what's to come the opening act has to do with Robotech
1: terrific Troy thank you very much look forward to finding out uh, more about the festival as it progresses and to have you back on in the future which I have to say the word future otherwise what's the point <laughs> You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co, and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week.